Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Got a sinus headache, Jasmine. It's the worst, but I'm doing okay. Oh, man. Yeah, I had that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Know how you feel. Yeah. You know, I don't usually get these, so I feel like I'm dying. And my my wife, who gets them all the time, is like, it's just a sinus headache. Okay, fine. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we have a good show this week. The first people, the first thing we want to say is that we talked to Lauren Morgan Bratcher and Kristen Wilcox, who work with Kentucky Moms for Medical Cannabis. Uh, Kristen Wilcox is actually one of the founders of that organization, but they are obviously an organization in support of getting medical marijuana through the legislature. So we had a talk about that, uh, about advocating from the perspective of being a mother. Uh, on this issue, we also talked to them about the prospects for medical marijuana in this year's uh, legislative session. A lot of good information that we learned uh, from from them in that, including some good conversations that they've already had with, with Robert Stivers. And then we talked a little bit about, about how this issue, the issue of marijuana and marijuana legalization, will uh, affect the, the races that are going on in 2023. Talked to them a little bit about the attorney general's race and about both sides, the Democratic and the Republican side of the gubernatorial race. A really good conversation. Uh, you know, opinionated folks. So uh, definitely stick around and listen. There's some great stuff in there. So I, I was very happy to have that. Uh, and really glad to have somebody talk about uh, this issue from a little bit more of a personal place. I always think that that makes it a little bit, you know, resonate more with me at least. Yeah, I've really been enjoying uh, these policy interviews that we've been doing lately. And medical marijuana is... I mean, this is something we talk about, but over 90% of Kentuckians support it. And I think the only thing that I can think of that more people support is maybe like getting rid of outrageous ticket master fees or something. So (laughs) this is something that's overwhelmingly supported. And um, it was it was really cool to hear from people who are involved in that advocacy and i really love this interview yeah absolutely um so definitely check listen to that uh all we have today are several quick hits we were going over all the stuff that we could talk about and and i usually will like send jasmine what do you think about this what do you think about this and she'll send back that sounds like a quick hit that sounds like a quick (laughs) hit and this week they were all quick hits. So there's a lot of stuff we wanted to talk about, but they're all pretty quick. Jasmine's going to talk to us a little bit about the uh, Jonathan Mattingly dinner in Bowling Green. We talked a little bit about that intersecting with Ryan Quarles a couple weeks ago, or maybe even just last week. But the event happened, and it was crazy. There's stuff to talk about there. Uh, there's been a couple of updates, the juvenile justice issue that we talked about last week as well, uh, and, and some news about the Kentucky State Police and their body cameras. Also news there. Uh, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of election-related things, and then, uh, yeah, most three different election things. Uh, one about the special election and two about uh, the elections later on this fall. So without any further ado, Jasmine, talk to us about your quick hits. Okay, I think this first one is the only one that is not a quick hit. It's a short segment, I suppose. Um, so last week we shared a quick hit about an event happening in Bowling Green hosted by the Republican women of South Central Kentucky, where Jonathan Mattingly was set to speak. So Jonathan Mattingly was one of the officers involved in the killing of Breonna Taylor. Ryan Quarles, gubernatorial candidate, current commissioner of agriculture, was also set to appear at the event, but canceled due to the controversial speaker. Um, And so we were happy that Ryan Quarles canceled. And that was that. Um, But that is not where this story ended at all. 
The event was supposed to be held at a country club, and it was moved to a restaurant in Bowling Green called Anna's Greek Restaurant. The Bowling Green Country Club also canceled due to the controversial speaker that was being featured. Did they say controversial speaker? Yes. So so Jonathan Mattingly in Bowling Green is basically like Voldemort or something. Like nobody wants to say his name. Controversial speaker is what is what I saw for why they canceled. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So after this event, um, multiple people posted on social media about having their dinner at Anna's interrupted by body camera footage being played over loudspeakers with the lights dimmed. Um, a woman talked about guests having to like use their phone lights to pay their bill because they had dimmed the lights and that they could hear body camera footage being played over loudspeakers and that um, cheers erupted when Jonathan Mattingly was announced. And this was all while diners were eating dinner. Um, so though the, the Republican women group met on the second floor of the restaurant. The dining room is an open space with a high ceiling and the second floor seating is like around. You can see the second floor seating up above from the main dining area. It's like a balcony, right? Is that? Yes, that's exactly. Yeah. And, and so, um, the other thing here, there is not body camera footage of Brianna Taylor's death. Um, so footage being shown was the aftermath of it. Um, but but that's if they were playing that, that's still extremely graphic and disturbing. A yep. guest posted a, a guest also posted video footage of confronting the owner of the restaurant and I watched that video and the response from the owner was also just crazy to me. He was like sipping a cup of tea while these guests were talking to him. And his response was, I have no idea what's happening. And the guest says, it's this is the Brianna case. It's about the murder. And he said, it's the first time hearing of it. They reserve the room. I have nothing to do with that. And she, the guest is upset about what has happened while they're trying to eat. And they made this reservation and they came from out of town and were eating here. And he was like, you got served, didn't you? Yeah. It, I, I also watched this video. It was it was very wild. Like I've worked in food service before you have too. So, I mean, you know that sometimes you can get kind of frazzled, but like, you know, the, the thing that really impacted me was the fact that the person talking about this was like, they never made it right. They never like offered a discount. Yeah. They never like comp their meals. They never even really apologized. As far as I could see, the guy was just like, well, you got served, you ate your food. Like you're, you can leave now, I guess. Uh, which was seemed very, very inappropriate and really unfortunate. So, yeah. And, and the other inappropriate, the, the most inappropriate thing is that I, I just can't, fathom that a group of people would gather for a buffet dinner for a discussion about the the death of a black woman at the hands of police and watch footage of the aftermath of her death yeah like 
it's absolutely nuts to me. Like, I know that not everybody's going to have my opinion about this, right? Not everybody's going to see this issue in the same way as me. Um, and and I, I get some people are a lot more pro-police or, you know, really, you know, cheer on, like, I don't know. They're just going to be different than me on this issue. I just can't imagine anyone looking at this where the police inadvertently killed somebody who had nothing to do with the thing they were investigating at all. Uh, I mean, that's like the most generous way you can look at it uh, and, and aren't like, wow, what a tragic mistake. But instead, like cheer and and scream and, and celebrate this man who was part of the perpetration of the act. Like it is just a symptom of like the toxicity of the Republican politics these days where like it's all just about upsetting people and not at all about like, you know, anything positive at all. This is really unfortunate. Absolutely. Um, so since this dinner happened this past weekend, Anna's has taken down their Facebook page and the Republican women's page is is also gone. So it's it's no longer publicly accessible, it seems. I um, mean, and I haven't seen any kind of comment from from either. Um, Jonathan Mattingly, on the other hand, <laughs> has been commenting. Um, he said the food was amazing and the staff was even better. Um, and he's been happy to argue in the comments section with, with anybody who wants to. Um, some have, have said that there were, were gunshots heard in the footage that was played at the restaurant. And um, Mattingly seemed to confirm on Facebook that there were gunshots played, but it, it wasn't from the night Brianna Taylor died because that footage doesn't exist. The gunshots he played were from protests in Louisville the night that seven people were shot. Um, which also doesn't really seem like appropriate. Yeah, not something you should be showing while people play are eating dinner, dinner at a restaurant yeah. either. <laughs> the Bowling Green Warren County NAACP is investigating what happened at the restaurant. Um, and so that's that's where we stand right now. It, it's really disappointing that we... I guess I don't like expect a lot from this Republican women's group. They're the ones that invited him and kept trying to make this event happen, even after their other, you know, build speaker canceled and their country club canceled. They made they they put out like a a press release about it after Ryan Quarles canceled. Um, so I I don't really expect comment from them, but. I would expect to hear from the restaurant and even if it was like, Hey, we didn't realize this is what was going to happen, <laughs> you know, like, so that that's pretty disappointing. Um, you know, they've got Jonathan Mattingly doing their PR now. And I guess, you know, if the book thing doesn't work out and obviously he's been fired from being a police officer, I guess he'll just go into PR for Annis. Like that's just his future, I guess. So, yeah. And I, I heard the food there was really good. So, yeah unfortunate there needs to be more yeah. greek food you know i know i love greek food there's one really there's one place in st matthews it's a chain but it's pretty good so yeah so that's that's all for that story for now we'll, we'll see if if we ever hear anything else um from that investigation so the next quick hit is a little bit of another update from last week about juvenile justice plans Governor Bashir announced several additional measures to improve the juvenile detention crisis. Um, those include increasing worker salaries to a $50,000 starting salary, adding defensive equipment uh, like pepper spray. We mentioned that one last week. 
a new director of security who has served as a warden of six Kentucky prisons. Um, I have sort of complicated feelings about this one. I, I, I do think that there need to be better security measures in our juvenile detention facilities, especially since there have been issues um, with like commingling of children. Um, but but I also don't know how I feel about someone who whose experience is in adult prisons because I don't want children to be treated like adults in a prison. Uh, I, yeah, that 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 is probably something that could potentially be an issue. I mean, it, you, like you mentioned, it's an important thing, and you know, I guess, I, I yeah, it, it, that's a that's yeah. A I don't want to assume that that would be the issue, but I guess that's just what I think of when I see that that's what their experience is. But I, I wouldn't want to assume that it would be. Um, he also announced a new compliance division. I guess if I needed a new job, that's that's something I could <laughs> apply for. Sure, yeah. Um, male youth 14 or over with serious felonies will be housed at three facilities, Adair, Fayette, and Warren. Um, and so those are new changes from the few that we talked about last week. Yeah, because previously they were just at one facility, right? And it was really kind of on one end of the state. It was just Adair County. Is that right? He had announced before last week that they were going to move girls to just one facility right. and they were going to move boys based on seriousness, but he hadn't really announced where. Okay. Um, and and so this is just like a more specific update. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that's the new update for this week. Senator Whitney Westerfield has been critical of Bashir. Um, saying that he has left workers underpaid and facilities in disarray. But I guess, like, my question about the criticism coming from senators is, like, doesn't the legislature pass the budget for salaries? Yeah, I mean, the way in which Governor Bashir was able to increase these people's salary was basically by, like, re- allocating what their job is right he basically made right. he changed their all of their job titles which is like kind of sketchy and if somebody wanted to take him to court over that they probably could right that's like the 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 uh, republicans in the legislature and republicans in the state have taken governor Bashir to court for less controversial changes in state government than this one um and and yeah that that he he's like being creative and trying to find ways to solve this problem but this is a problem that is perpetuated by the legislature's failure to act and fail failure to properly fund, you know, uh, corrections on, on all levels up and down, but right now, especially on juvenile side. So it's really kind of, I mean, almost shameful for Whitney Westerfield, who has been like kind of good on this issue in the past to, to push this onto Governor Bashir instead of trying to work with him. So that's really exactly. And the legislature, of course, is also responsible for the increased pension liabilities of the city of Louisville which caused the cl the closing yeah. of LMYDS which has led to this juvenile detention crisis. Yeah, we've talked we talked about that last week too. Like that being really, I mean there's several core issues here but really in my opinion, the core, core issue is the fact that LY, uh, LMYDS was closed and these people had all of these children who uh, are in, you know, in, in, uh, in this, in this system are having to move all over the state. And yes, their changes to the pension system with the support of Governor Bevan is how this all got started in the first place. So yes, that was their problem also. And I will note that 
Whitney Westfield is very supportive of wraparound services for youth and understands that detention without support and intervention is not helpful. And so I hope that the types of juvenile justice bills that he supports are the ones that, um, that get momentum in the legislature, but his criticism of Bashir about this issue, um, is frustrating considering the legislature is the one in control of of the funding here. Yeah, let's really hope that his support of these issues can at some point translate into actual legislation and actual law that changes and improves, you know, the quality of our detention system that improves the quality of our Department of Juvenile Justice instead of just saying, well, I support it, and then uh, using your position as the chairman of the Ju- Judiciary Committee in the Senate to, to do nothing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then my last quick hit is that the Kentucky State Police is getting body cameras for the first time. And I think this is really good news. This is happening because of an increase in funding for technology for the Kentucky State Police that um, was in Bashir's budget proposal that the legislature included in their budget last year. And I, you know, I'm supportive of an increase in funding for um, technology that's for accountability purposes and not technology that is um, related to like junk science <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, body cameras are, are good um, account for accountability and transparency. And so that's definitely good news. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a step in the right direction. You know, body cams are, you know, maybe not people are sometimes critical of them for whatever reason. But, you know, I think that while they may not be perfect, they're definitely a step in the right direction. Um, and they're really important for. Yeah, I I don't know why. Like, I think police should support having body cams because. I mean, it's accountability for. The people committing crimes to yeah absolutely <laughs> a lot of, it's a lot a of lot evidence of, <laughs> a lot of evidence is caught on those body cams and it's just it's just confirmation of what they said happened yeah so and it, if you're if you're not gonna do a bad job at your job you shouldn't be i mean all it's gonna do is exonerate you right like that should be something that i mean and honestly a lot of the a lot of the smart police that i have seen talk about this issue typically are supportive of body cams mm-hmm. it's not something that you it's unheard of for a police person and our police advocate to be supportive of, of that. So, all right. Um, I also have several quickets to talk about. So, Jasmine, back at the beginning of the month, we talked a little bit about the special election for the Senate seat that was vacated when Morgan McGarvey was elected to the United States Congress. It's in the news again. The special election is because the initial plan for the special election was to open just four locations, with none of them being in the Highlands, uh, which is where a large portion of the district lives. Uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, that's... The heart of the district, in my opinion, and uh, all of these places, some of them weren't in the district and some of them were kind of in the the tails of the district. Um, Bobby Holsclaw, who's the Jefferson County clerk who put forth the original plan, said that, you know, once Michael uh, Adams, the secretary of state, uh, kind of came out against her plan, uh, she called it political grandstanding. So (laughs) I guess that's interesting. Uh, yeah, so she, uh, there, there was, you know, never really a formal rejection of the plan, just Michael Adams kind of saying he wasn't supportive of it. Uh, but a compromise was struck that allowed, uh, for eight new locations, I believe, to be added. At least that, that was the reporting I saw yesterday. Um, all of which are JCPS, 
schools, including Atherton High School, Hawthorne Elementary, Highland Middle, which are in the Highlands. So um, that's that's good news. It's good. I'm, a lot of people are going to be able to vote. So, Jasmine, uh, any thoughts about this? I just thought this little Republican feud between Bobby Holsclaw and Michael Adams was funny. But I'm glad that Michael Adams won and and that you get more polling locations. Yeah, absolutely. And and I will say it is important. So, Jasmine, I, I have been out uh, canvassing uh, for this election uh, for, for Cassie Chambers Armstrong. And, and I, I was out in my neighborhood, actually, like talking to a lot of my neighbors and knocking on doors. And, and there's a lot of elderly people that live in my neighborhood who were knew all about the election were like, yes, no, I've been reading about the controversy, um, and, and I hope that they win because I am going to have trouble getting to St. Matthews. That's not a place I go. I'm in my 80s. It's tough for me to get out. Um, I'm looking into getting an absentee ballot. Like, I mean, this is this was seriously creating an access issue for a lot of the elderly folks in this district, of which there are a lot. So this, this is important. It is not just a joke. Uh, so I'm glad that there are going to be more voting locations. All right, uh, next up, Governor Andy Bashir spoke at length about his education priorities in an appearance this week where he spoke about his support for things like the 5% teacher raises, universal pre-K, better textbook funding, and improving the pension. That's not surprising. That's probably something we're going to be talking about a lot as this year goes on, Governor Bashir giving speeches about his education priorities. But I did think it was kind of interesting the location that he was coming from, and it was Eastern High School in Louisville, I, very close to where I grew up. I used to, from my parents' house, you can actually hear the Eastern High High school marching band practicing. So uh, while Governor Bashir did win Jefferson County by about 100,000 votes in 2019, uh, his support in the suburbs, I think, presents the biggest opportunity and maybe also the biggest threat to his reelection. I think East and South Louisville are going to be places that Andy Bashir goes quite a bit in this this year as he's ramping up his election because I think there are a lot of winnable voters in there and people who have voted for him in the past who going up somebody up, up against somebody who is not Matt Bevin may be softer in their support for him. So I I'm, I'm interested, Jasmine, what did you think about Eastern High School? What do you think about, you know, all of the intricacies about Louisville in the in the elections moving up uh, and, and how they might support Governor Bashir uh, this year? Yeah, I think this is definitely an, an interesting and strategic spot to be. And, you know, I think this is probably if you look at the 2022 election results, East Louisville, this is kind of like the JCPS school board district three, right. I guess, where you had um, James Craig, right? James Craig's district where there was a Liberty candidate that came pretty close um, in that race to defeating him where there's some support for um, like this, like parent school choice stuff um, and then you have like Republicans winning state house and state Senate seats in East Louisville and then Republicans winning Metro council seats and state house seats in South Louisville, mm -hmm. um, that were flipped seats. And, and so I think that those are definitely areas that Bashir is going to need to be in that are I think South Louisville may be where the tide is is turning, whereas East Louisville, it's maybe kind of been that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that Governor Bashir is a well-known quantity, and I think that's going to help him out a lot in, in South Louisville. I think, you know, I don't know, um, but I do think, like, 
um, that that I do think like the fact that he's running for re-election is is going to help him in in a lot of these places. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be seen. Um, yeah, and and we this is East Louisville. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see something happen in South Louisville, uh, also. You know, uh, moving into you know Northern Bullet County, Mount Washington area, uh, that kind of space. So you know. I'll I'll go see him if he goes to Mount Washington. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him. I mean, I don't think he's got a chance to win Bullet County, but I think like that's just because of the rest of. Bullet County. I think Mount Washington actually uh, is a place where he may win a lot of votes and may even win the precincts in that area. So um, there you go. There's my Bullet County analysis for you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, wait. Yeah. Okay. Uh, lastly, <laughs> Daniel Cameron put forward a poll showing uh, that he had a massive lead in the Republican primary. It said that he was leading the pack with 39% support, followed by Ryan Quarles and Kelly Craft with 8% each. So showing himself with a 31% lead in the race, <laughs> uh, 38% being undecided and everybody else having low levels of support. There is a lot, a lot of caveats with this poll. Uh, this is an internal poll. It's very early. And as attorney general, he has a much higher profile figure than his opponents. You know, Ryan Quarles is, of course, the agricultural secretary. But that is a lower, I think, in my opinion, a lower visibility position than the attorney general. Um, I will also say Eric Dieters. I just saw this. I'm doing this on the fly. Eric Dieters put out his own poll where he said his staffers oh, called good. a thousand Republicans and said it wasn't really uh, that. That far off he he said that there wasn't as big of a lead i don't know the exact numbers but i thought that was hilarious like this is the type of chaos that this republican primary needs is eric dieters calling a thousand republicans and putting out his own poll uh yeah so so that's that's what's going on i don't know if that reflects reality um it is a huge lead if it's real uh but there was an independent poll that was released recently and that was of Andy Bashir's approval that was put forward by Morning Consult. They do a lot of polling about all the governors across the country, but they did one specifically where they dug into the numbers with Andy Bashir a little deeper. Uh, it showed Andy Bashir with a 26% net positive approval rating, which is very, very large. That's that's a very, very good rating. He had 60% approval and 34% disapproval, which includes 87% approval for Democrats and 46% approval among Republicans. So, Jasmine, I guess my question about this for you is, you think if Andy Bashir were running in the Republican primary, do you think he'd win? No, it's a nice thought based on that poll, but I don't think he would. Yeah, I don't think he would either. I think it would be interesting. I think, I, I mean, honestly, I think that they should do it. Like, put up, you know, just just do a poll of Republicans and be like, who of these people do you think should be the governor and see who came out on top of just Republicans in Kentucky? Uh, it, yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about Daniel Cameron's poll? I mean, do you think it, that sounds real? Do you think that sounds insane? Do, what do you think their, the political purpose for putting a poll out like that is? Like anything about that? I... The part of the poll I agree with is that I think 38% undecided sounds pretty reasonable. I, I would think it's even higher, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like yeah, 60% maybe. undecided. Yeah, I, I just I don't think that he has 39% to Ryan and Kelly's 8%. I would think that his 39% is maybe more spread out amongst those three. Yeah, I would say it would be sh shocking to me if anybody had more than 25% support at all, which isn't to say that mm -hmm. somebody doesn't have a commanding lead. It's just that I'm, I'm I, I just, of the Republicans I talk to, a lot of them aren't tuned in yet. 
Um, the ones that are seem to be very divided and, and see good and bad things about all the candidates. I mean, that's them, not me. I see mostly bad about these candidates, but uh, I get from their perspective uh, how, how some of these nominations are tough. Like, you know, in the Democratic primary last time going around, like in January of the year uh, of 2019, like that that was a tough decision for me. You know, I, I saw good things about all three uh, Democratic candidates that were running. And, and you know, I, I, I get that it's hard to make these decisions. So, you know, I, I think for Daniel Cameron, you know, presenting himself as strong and out front and in the lead is, is important for the race he's trying to run. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, it's a really tough race to handicap, and it's only getting getting harder as things go along. Anything else about that, Jasmine? From from you? No. Yeah. Um. I did want to talk a little bit about Kelly Craft. Uh, this is an also on the fly quick hit. Um, but uh, there, there was like some news about her and uh, an ad that she ran about it, about the, uh, you know, the, the opioid ep- epidemic in Kentucky, and she talked about how in her ad at her table at home there was an empty chair, and the media kind of has been digging into this a little bit, asking a lot of questions, and they were not able to see any evidence that anybody in her family had died as a result of an opioid addiction. And she actually came out and said that like nobody had died, that she had just been affected by the issue. Um, and, and also it wasn't a child, which in the ad she said, as a mother, I know what this is like to have the empty chair at the table. So, um, you know, for me, that was really bad. There's been a lot of stuff published about this. There was an editorial in the Herald Leader today um, uh, about how, you know, that was really egregious to say, like, as a mother, because, like, losing a child is among the worst things that can ever happen to you. Uh, and, and to, like, imply that, um, it, it, it just seemed really bad. So, Jasmine, I mean, from your perspective, um, did you think that, like, did, well, how did you? How did her excuse hit you? Did you feel like it was a good excuse? Did it not make any sense? Did it? Did it not uh, work for you? Um, and do you think that this is an issue that's going to affect her moving forward? I mean, the excuse certainly didn't work for me because I saw that ad, and she says, "As a mother," followed by, "I understand what it's like to have an empty chair," and. And so putting those together, I remember seeing it for the first time and said to my husband, did she have a child die? Yeah. And and for that to not be true, I mean, that's, that's pretty upsetting for, for so many people who have lost a child or lost a loved one to the opioid epidemic. Um, and so to... To use her her campaign funds to put out ads like that, I it, it's really disingenuous, and um, I think her excuse and and how she's answered it hasn't really been great either. Yeah, no, I, you know, uh, opioids have affected my family, um, and I will say that anybody that has had a family member die uh, from an op- opioid issue, um, you know. They've all also experienced having to deal with the addiction, right? Um, you know, that is a different emotion, right? And they're both really bad and hard um, and difficult, but they are, like, very distinctly different and, and carry just a very different feeling when that person is gone forever versus when they're in the throes of, of dealing with their addiction. And, and you know, I did feel like that that implied that that 
somebody in their family had died, somebody in her family had died after. And this also came out after I had done like all this research about who her children were and what they were doing. So it seemed like very strange to me in, in the first place. So, you know, yeah, I, I certainly hope it stays an issue because I do feel like it is very inexcusable uh, and, and really terrible. And and you think with somebody with, you know, that much money in their campaign uh, could afford better advice. But, you know, I, I guess I guess not. Um, so really tough stuff from her campaign. Um, I hope her response to it improves. I hope she's apologetic about it. Um, but I certainly hope um, it continues to be talked about as we go through this race. Anything about that or any of the other quick hits before we get to our interview uh, with Kentucky Moms for Medical Cannabis? No, I, I, I think you nailed it. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to it. This is uh, Lauren Morgan Bratcher and Kristen Wilcox. Lauren Morgan Bratcher and Kristen Wilcox are the founders of Kentucky Moms for Medical Cannabis, a nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to empowering Kentucky patients and promoting legislative action and initiatives. Kristen was a member of Governor Bashir's Medical Cannabis Advisory Committee that we've talked about on the show several times and is the mother of a child with Dravet syndrome, which causes seizures and which can be treated with medicine that includes cannabis oil. In addition to her work with Kentucky Moms for Medical Cannabis, Lauren is the de- deputy director for Kentucky Normal, our state's chapter of one of the oldest institutions in the United States dedicated to legalizing marijuana. So Lauren and Kristen, welcome to my old Kentucky podcast. Thank you. I think we you, um, do need to make one small correction. Okay. Um, is that I did not actually, uh, I'm not the co-founder of Kentucky Moms. Uh, Julie Cantwell is a co-founder with, with Kristen. Um, but we do work together quite closely. Okay, great. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll make sure, yeah, that w- everybody knows now, and we know Julie's name, so we're, we're good to go. All right, I appreciate that uh, correction there. Um, but we have, over the years, talked to several people who advocate for marijuana legalization and marijuana, le- medical, you know, recreational, all different types of uh, marijuana legalization and lots of different bills through the years. Um, and, but you guys are the first people that we've talked to uh, who, who talk about this issue as mothers. So I would be very interested to hear you guys tell us uh, why why this organization is important, why you're advocating for medical marijuana from the perspective of of a mother. Well, um, for years we have uh, we've tried to work with other advocacy organizations, and we're happy to do so. But sometimes there's there's a little something extra that comes with a mom, a sense of urgency. Um, we we watch our children suffer. Um, both Julie and I have children who suffer, um, and that's what got us, that's what brought us together. And that's, um, why we fight. Um, you know, a lot of the advocacy groups believe in going to Frankfurt and being nice and playing the political games, but we don't have time for that. Again, it's, um, urgency matters. And while we sit and watch our our children suffer. Um, I feel like we uh, we have a little leverage when it comes to working with lawmakers to um, ensure that they understand how important this issue is from a mother's perspective. Yeah, just to follow up on that a little bit, um, do you mind to tell us a little bit uh, about you know you know raising a child and and talking about your kids issues in front of a bunch of people 
I mean, as somebody who has a story that's, you know, not the same, but but in some ways similar, uh, talking about personal issues like that gets a little weird sometimes. Tell us, does that something that you feel as well? How do you feel when you're when you're talking about this with large groups of people? Well, honestly, I hate that it's something that I have to be so public about. Um, but, um, you know, when I started this and the first time I went to Frankfurt, I was under the assumption just go in front of um, my elected officials and tell them our stories and that they would have heart and they would they would you know, believe that, um, that they would do the right things, but they didn't. So, um, unfortunately I've had to be an open book and, um, and tell our stories, um, publicly, but over the years I have, um, recorded videos of my daughter having seizures and, and been able to email those videos and say, you know, what would you do if this was your child? That, that sounds like it should be effective. And, of course, as uh, people who watch this really closely, we, we understand that uh, it, it, it sometimes isn't as effective as we want it to be. Uh, and, and that's not an uncommon story for lots of people across a lot of different issues. But I am interested in, in you know, from, from both of you uh, about this part of that question, which is, like, um, does bringing a familial or, or, like, bringing a personal experience with this, does it seem to be effective uh, and, and reaching legislators, of course, like this is a long process, and, and there has been incremental progress on this issue. Tough to see if you don't watch it really closely, but there certainly has been, you know, more hearings happen. We we had a bill pass the House last year. You know, we're we're having this progress. Um, and and I guess maybe uh, Lauren, can you talk to us about like maybe the effectiveness uh, of testimony of like like you know. Um, uh, like this, like Kristen's, where uh, where people are talking about their children or talking about personal experiences versus, you know, somebody talking about it from a more academic or like, here's a, here's a study about why we should legalize something like this. Sure. Well, uh, you know, my perspective is that both of them are equally important. Um, like Kristen said, this is something that's been going on for years and years and years. And we've seen every manner of child, man, woman, sickness, you name it. Um and compassion is there, but until that political aspect is ready, compassion only goes so far. And it also depends on the senator or house rep you're talking to. Some of them are moved more by compassion. Some of them are moved more by facts. So it's important that you lead, I think, with both parts of that, um, you know, and, and, and always bring context to the compassionate side of stories. Yeah, so we want to talk a little bit about what the picture looks like for medical marijuana. And, it, you know, it's been a major issue in front of the Kentucky legislature for several years now with not a lot of progress. And so, you know, do you all see that changing this year with uh, Senator Robert Stiver saying that he might be open to the use of medical marijuana in end of life situations? Well, here's what I know. Um, last year, we had a member uh, speak with Morgan McGarvey before he left, um, and he really he kept telling us that this year would be a good year. We get here. It's a non-election year. We know this is a very popular bipartisan issue, um, and if Republicans don't move on it this year, then they're going to leave it on the table for Bashir to pick up and campaign, campaign with next year. So we really are getting the feelings, the, the vibe even that 
uh, Republicans aren't going to let that sit on the table. It's an easy win for uh, Bashir if they do. Sure. So, you know, what do we think it's going to look like? So these medical marijuana bills have kind of been like watered down through the years in an attempt to actually get something that might pass. So what is your impression of this year's bill? Do you think that it's good enough or does it fall short? Um, I recently, I met with Robert Stivers on the opening day of session um, this year, actually, and we had a very productive meeting. Um, It lasted, um, I'd say, upwards of two hours. Um, And and we have found his point of compassion. He lost his mom to colon cancer. We brought him stories of another patient who had colon cancer. but yeah, we, he's these legislators are finally ready to talk business, even the ones that have been um, in opposition for years to come. So things are coming, seem to be happening a little bit easier. I don't want to get my hopes up if this is the year or not. I've been let down so many mm. times. Um, but I do feel a little bit more hopeful about this year. As for the bill, it's the same kind of copy and paste bill that we've had for the last several years. Um, and and I'll be honest, nobody likes it. It's not a great bill, <laughs> um, but it's it's all we have to work with. And frankly, I believe that, and I'm finally okay with that because I feel yeah. that I feel like that we need to pass something. And once we do and legislators see that the sky is not falling, um, then maybe we can work a little, push a little farther and go, uh, go a little further with things. So, um, you know, uh, a lot of these bills will leave a huge part of our patients unrepresented, especially if they, um, re-put in uh, the small list of qualifying conditions. But I believe along with Bashir's order, which he will not rescind until we get something um, at least as good, if not better, then I think that both can work in conjunction um, to really uh, provide some relief for our patients. And I, I wanted to add to that as well that You know, in a medical program, a lot of people think, oh, the taxes, there's going to be money there with medical. Medical should be treated the same way as we do medicine. It should not be taxed. But the money is still going to be there. There's going to be so many ancillary businesses, um, label printers, package makers, marketers. um, There's going to be job creation in the dispensaries. Uh, You know, so there is a lot of tax money that's generated from medical. It's not it's just not from the medical from the product itself, right? But I, I I agree with Kristen. I think once they see the sky's not falling, oh, and we have a lot of extra tax dollars, and we have a lot of extra jobs, and people just seem to be generally like a little bit better adjusted and healthy, and you know, um, that maybe that will um, you know help them move forward and give some more uh protections we're really in kentucky normal we're looking for you know workplace protections parental right protections um housing protections all of your consumer advocacy um type things so but you know as i said Kristen and i work uh together a lot and 
I think from both of our perspectives, you know, we really bring the, the full force and, and I'm a mother too. And my son has his own needs, but it's ADHD. It's not a life-threatening you know, uh, condition like what Shelby has. So um, that's not as big of a concern for me as it is for Kristen. But I can still sympathize. And, and I agree with you have mothers on the case and, and we don't stop. We think about it all the time. Kristen and I talk about this all day, every day. It's an obsession at this point. You know, we're, we're just we can't quit until we get the job done. Yeah, I think I think, Kristen, you summed it up really well when you say that it's a bill that no one's happy with, but we we all just want it passed. You know, we we just want to get there um, and and then see where we can go from here. And and I also think it's a incredibly interesting um, what you said about meeting with Senator Stivers and finding his point of compassion, because, I mean, Robert and I are talking about this issue all the time and. And we we don't know what it is. We're we're just always speculating about that. And so um, it, it and is nice to hear that. Yeah, this is the first year that we have. Um, he's always uh, been very cold to me. Um, but this meeting was different. I felt like he was finally ready to to find some common ground. And, and I believe that we have accomplished that. So regardless, um, I mean, have no doubt that we still have the same opposition and the same forces from the pharmaceutical industry fighting us every step of the way, have no doubt about it. But I, um, I feel like he's finally understand i think that we've definitely found the common ground and and there is room to move forward yeah that's definitely very good news to hear so medical marijuana is is one step um, but many other states have also made recreational marijuana legal even some more conservative states and so you know do either of you think that this would be possible in kentucky at any point in the future do you want me to take that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it is a possibility. Virginia is a commonwealth. They're set up a lot like we are. And they started with a very strict no flower bill, um, no home grow, you, you know, a little over five years ago. And they went full wreck. Now, even now, they're still working out the kinks. They're still working out policy and regulations and stuff like that. But it is possible. Is it going to happen soon? I doubt it. But yes, right. it is possible. I would say it would probably be after federal changes. Yeah. I don't think that mm -hmm. we're going to do anything other than medical until federal changes. Yeah. Right. And just as much as we're pushing for um, medical, I think that decriminalization is equally yes. important. Um, that's something that I'm still working with a lot of our advocates on the medical side to understand that while we have if we can't get a great medical bill that truly um, covers all of our patients, then we are still leaving patients that are just as desperate and vulnerable um, as many of those with qualifying conditions who do meet the criteria. They're being criminalized and, and that's just not fair. So I really would like to see, um, and, and I'm hopeful that, um, and I'll be working on it when I go back to Frankfurt in February um, in hopes that maybe we can even get an amendment added for um, small 
amount decriminalization to at least cover some of the most vulnerable patients that do not meet the criteria. Yeah. Right. Uh, and speaking of decriminalization, or I guess along the same lines, like once we get to the point of talking about, you know, recreational, uh, you know, restitution being a part of that bill as well is something that I think is really important. But of course, we have a ways to go before we get to that point for sure. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about this year and the elections this year. You mentioned them earlier uh, as something. And I think there's no doubt that that marijuana legalization and uh, on some level or just the issue of marijuana will be a major one in the gubernatorial election uh, coming up this year. And, and, you know, this is an issue that Governor Bashir has talked about quite a bit in, in recent months and, and really over the past year in, in kind of a way that's been different from uh, his career before. So, you know, I, I'm kind of, first of all, interested in hearing your thoughts about the governor on this issue. Um, do you feel like he has been supportive enough? You know, you talked a little bit about his executive order. Um, and there, I, I have heard some advocates talk about how it didn't go far enough, but I've also heard people say that it was a really good ordinance. Um, so talk to us a little bit about where he stands on this issue and how you think it's going to affect uh, the gubernatorial election this year in, in 2023. I am very pleased with what the governor's done. I have talked and worked with the governor since before he was even elected to be governor. He promised us um, up front that this issue did matter to him and that he would work to help us. Um, and he has followed through um, with his promises. As for this order, I was floored when it came out, very pleased with what he done. I understand that, um, you know, it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world and it still leaves a lot of confusion um, but what's but he did the best that he could, in my opinion. Um, and he and again, he he met his promises. Um, I'm still it's still urgent that the legislature passes this issue. Um, but again, I think the governor has um, done everything that he could possibly do. And I'm very pleased with him. Um, and and I hate to say it, but we don't have. Uh, many on the other side of the aisle that are supportive. And um, as a nonprofit organization, I cannot endorse um, anybody specifically, but I can tell you that as an individual, Governor Bashir will absolutely have my vote. And I'm going to um, yell it from the tops of the mountains, um, especially during voting season when I know that... Um, all the opposition is running against him. Yeah, I think that that was, uh, you know, first of all, me, me too, uh, for lots of different reasons. But, you know, I am interested in, in speaking to you guys from like a nonprofit um, side of things because you do kind of have to work on both sides. And given the status of Kentucky's legislature, mm -hmm. that's super important. You know, there's 80 Republicans in the House and, you know, 30 or so in the not quite. I, well, I don't yeah. know, getting close to 30 uh, in the. Uh, yeah, I think it is 30 in the, in the Senate. So, you know, working with the Republicans is super important. Um, and, and yeah. you know, there are a billion <laughs> Republicans running for governor this year. And and I, mm -hmm. I am kind of interested in your perspective. Have you started having conversations uh, with any of the Republicans that are running uh, for, for governor about the issue uh, of marijuana? And, and either from those conversations or from the things that you've seen, do any of the candidates on the Republican side seem to be better than others on this issue? Do you want me to take that one, Lauren? <laughs> I mean, I personally haven't. Um, I, I mean, 
We do reach out um, once primaries have been finished and we know who's going to run um, to get their stance. But at this point, there's so many of them. And generally, Republicans will, if they are for cannabis, they make themselves known to us because they're pretty few and far in between. But Kristen, I'm sure, has her own opinion on that. Well, there are none of none in the top runners. I have I have talked uh, several times to Ryan Quarles, who is, in my personal opinion, one of the most corrupt um, constitutional officers in the state of Kentucky. Um, he is against us 100 percent. I think that pharmaceutical money is a lot louder than this mama can be. Um, so he is a definite no. I have talked to Daniel Cameron, who is also a no. Um, and then Kelly Kraft just recently, she came out. She was asked about the governor's executive order recently um, at a meeting she did, I think, in Bowling Green. And she was um, asked about the governor's order. Um, and she said, uh, she said, oh, I think there's more important issues. Kentuckians don't care about that. Well, she's not met me yet. And and I hope that she stays irrelevant enough to where she never does, because I've got some news for her. Um, but then nobody else that um, is running on that side of the aisle is has stepped up and been supportive. Nobody that has a chance, in my opinion. Um, so, no. And I hope that they do hate the governor for this. I hope it makes them jealous when they hear us on podcasts and on the news um, glorifying our governor's name and championing him. But I tell you, there is not another issue in the state of Kentucky anywhere that 90 plus percent of people agree with. And this is one. Find me one other issue that 90% of Kentuckians agree on. You can't get them to agree that that the earth is round, but they'll agree with medical marijuana. So, yeah. So yeah, be bad at Governor Bashir and and hate him for this or join us. It's it's your choice. But nobody um this will be a very unpopular opinion for anybody who runs against Governor Bashir and uh yeah. And I'm and I'm happy to have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar uh, medical marijuana and and maybe like background checks for gun purchases, which are they're also against. I think mostly. So you know, uh, there you go. But uh, the governor's race is one thing. Uh, but, of course, the attorney general's race is also very, very important for the issue uh, of marijuana and especially as it relates to law enforcement. Uh, and, and that's something that else that's on the ballot this year. So so I am interested. Uh, there's only two candidates running in that race, one Democrat and one Republican. Have you guys started to have those conversations with either uh, Pamela Stevenson or with Russell Coleman uh, about about this issue? And do you have anything uh, you guys don't seem short on opinions, uh, what your thoughts are on, on, on that race so far? I'll say this. Um, I have talked and worked with Pamela Stevenson in the past. She's wonderful, lovely to work with, always has um, plenty to say. She's got a side of compassion. Um, I adore her and I will be voting for her. Um, Russell Coleman, on the other hand, has avoided uh, speaking on this issue. And and I'm pretty sure, isn't he a judge I'm pretty sure he's uh, he used to be a prosecutor, a federal prosecutor. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he's but 
put a lot of people in jail for this issue. So um, when it comes down to that, yeah, but I'm I'm Pam all the way. So, you know, I think you all may have answered this, but in a lot of other states, ending the prohibition on marijuana has has been fairly bipartisan. And but do you feel like this issue has been more partisan in Kentucky than other places? Um, I feel like here in, in Kentucky, and I mean, this is true all through the South. We talked to a lot of the other states about this. Um, religion has a big part to play. And yes, I do think that it is a more uh, divided here than it is in other states because of that. We are the Bible Belt. We have people lobbying from religious, uh, you know, institutions all the time against this issue. So that's and that's going to be one of our biggest, um, you know, groups that are lobbying against us in this issue, too, is, is religious groups. So that's what I think. I mean, that, that certainly makes sense. It is a little unfortunate that we are kind of an outlier in those kind of ways. And I guess that does make a lot of sense. Uh, Kentucky being kind of a part of the upper south is a place where a lot of these fights actually happen. You know, as you get l- further south, they don't even happen, right? They're, they're not even having a lot of these discussions. And uh, we're actually talking about it and, and you know, facing a lot of resistance for sure. Um, but yeah, I, okay. So thank you guys so much for talking to us, sharing your opinion, sharing the things that you know. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how this issue works out this session. Uh, I'm optimistic it sounds like based on a lot of conversations that you guys have had and so uh, we're, we're excited about that see how it goes um if people want to learn more about your organization or organizations uh or or want to join in the efforts for uh with you know kentucky moms for uh medical cannabis or normal uh, kentucky normal how, how can they do that how can they get connected with you guys well you can we you can find us all over social media we are Pretty, if there's a social media platform, you can probably find us on there at Kentucky Moms MMJ. Um, but more importantly, instead of reaching out to us, reach out to your elected representatives. You can do that by calling the LRC hotline at 800-372-7181 and tell them that it's time to pass medical cannabis in Kentucky, that the people want to vote for it. We're sick of waiting, and you've got kids and and people out here suffering, veterans who deserve this, and uh, it's time to get a move on. And if they can't do it, we're going to find their replacements who will. So, and on my part, um, Kentucky Normal, Normal stands for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And it, of course, we talked about in the beginning was started in 1970 with a $5,000 donation from Hugh Hefner to Keith Stroop to get this started. (laughs) I love that. So I always want to try (laughs) to fit that in when possible. But yes, we are the Kentucky chapter. You can go to kynormal.org. So that's K-Y-N-O-R-M-L. Org. Um, we do have a medical cannabis frequently asked questions page on there. All the information people need. They can always reach out to me and Kristen to help them. And I also have a page that says take action. And there are instructions on how to call the LRC, the 800 number, even a short little script for people who may feel nervous doing it for the first time. Um, so our page is a really good resource to um, find information um, about any part of cannabis laws or policy. Okay, well, uh, Lauren Morgan Bratcher and Kristen Wilcox, thank you guys very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank, thank you all for having us. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? 
They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old Pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.